But it is skating to where the puck's going to be. I mean, that's mm-hmm. why I say it. It's, and so how, how do you plan and really get through something that seems kind of gray and ambiguous? This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot. Hey, folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. Today, we bring you number 10 in the Sea Change series, a conversation with Joyce Dombrowski, an important leader in Montana. Joyce is the chief executive of the Montana Service Area for Providence Health and Services. In other words, she's the CEO over at St. Pat's. She's also a relatively new appointee to the Montana University System's Board of Regents. Joyce and I cover a lot of ground in this conversation, starting with the challenges of providing quality, accessible health care in a rural state like Montana, and the trade-offs associated with being part of one of the nation's largest healthcare systems. The parallels between what's happening in healthcare and what's happening in higher education are striking, and it was exciting to explore that thought space with Joyce. Joyce explains her role on the Board of Regents and why she said yes when asked to serve in this particular capacity. We also get her thoughts on sea change and her expectations for the University of Montana as we move through this important initiative. I thoroughly enjoyed getting to know Joyce, and I'm excited for you to learn all about her right now. Okay, so we're here today with Joyce Dombrowski. Joyce, thanks for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. My pleasure to be here. It's great to have you here. It's great great to meet you. Excited to kind of talk about the wide range of, of things you do, but I'd love to start with um, your role at Providence St. Pat's here. You've been with that organization for a long time and now are the leader of, of the organization in the Montana service area. Maybe talk about, go back to your, your sort of choices to enter healthcare as a profession and, and why that was something that captured you. Happy to, actually. It's easy to talk about. Um, first of all, I, I am a Montanan, yeah. uh, a native. I, um, I was born and raised in a little town called Fairfield in north central Montana. Okay. And chose to... Is that on the High Line? Uh, technically not on the High Line. Okay. The High Line's a little bit further north, so there's this visual called the Golden Triangle, mm-hmm. and, and Great Falls sort of sits at the apex of that, and so Fairfield's sort of to, not sort of, it is to the west, and really sitting in a malting barley community. We have a lot of grain bins there and sold malting barley to Anheuser-Busch for years. Okay. That's sort of my, my thinking of growing up. And chose to go into nursing and went to Montana State University, mm-hmm. um, really right out of high school. My mom was a nurse, uh, didn't nurse though, was a traditional mom, but I really was drawn to health sciences, biology, okay. thought about med school as kids do, lab tech, et cetera, and ended up in nursing and felt really good about nursing and, and had a wonderful clinical career in the emergency department. Okay. And, um, in Montana? In Montana. All yeah. of my career has been in Montana. I've been really blessed. So I worked in um, at Butte, and then I worked in Billings, mm-hmm. and then got a graduate degree at the University of Minnesota. It's the only thing that I probably did outside of the state. But Yeah, um, why? Why I saw that on your resume. Yeah. Why Minnesota? They just have a really good program? They they did and they still do in in healthcare administration. Okay. And this will date me, but it was before the time of internet programs and they were the only one at that time that would allow you to go come come to Minnesota for a couple of weekends during the year and really do all of your coursework. And then you had a mentor locally and they reviewed your papers and they and they were sort of like your ad hoc professor. Yeah. And then your last nine or 10 graduate credits, you had to come to the University of Minnesota. And so I did that for one summer and finished okay. my thesis and 
was really outstanding. Now it seems so archaic to say it that way, but at a that time, bit. yeah, it I mean, was, yeah, it, that's yeah. a whole other side of the conversation. Yeah. Is to sort of innovation in higher education. We'll get to that right, when we talk right. about your role as a regent. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So, so had an opportunity. It really was uh, recruited uh, over to Missoula by a former colleague from Billings. Okay. And, and ended up coming over to Missoula for a whole lot of reasons, both professional and personal. And um, and it's just been, it was really a great decision. In Providence, we use the word called or where we serve rather than sort of employment. And, uh-huh. and I really feel like I'm the embodiment of that. Um, came over to, though, lead in nursing, which is what I had really grown into, and did that at uh, St. Pat's for, gosh, the first maybe six, seven, eight years of my career. And then okay. sort of was tired of that. So I applied for the vice president or associate vice president of marketing and communications. Yeah, I noticed that. So which, interesting. Like, what, what did I know about that? But it was I was really looking to do something different, stay in healthcare, and then wanted to become an executive, really felt like I could influence at the executive level. Was that was that kind of the motivation to, to go from treating patients to being a leader in the organization? It was yes. influence and, and a broader influence rather than sort of strict, right, right. you know, kind of top down, if you will. Mm-hmm. So didn't get the job. And um, okay. first time I applied. And it was one of those moments of mid-career, like, oh, I've got to do something different. Long story short, the person who was offered the position didn't take it, came back and they said, do you want it? And I had no... I had absolutely no hesitation. I was like, yes, I want it. Yeah. Later, the individual who went through that with me said, if you might have been someone else, you might have sort of said, because you were prideful, I'm not taking it. If yeah. I'm not the number one, mm-hmm. didn't even occur to me because I was so sort of focused on yeah. a different yeah. role in leading, I, I guess, as I look back. maybe It's interesting. I've seen that um, in, inst- in instances where somebody's the second choice for a job. Either they say, no, not interested. Or it maybe sort of saddles them from the start and so mm-hmm. it's like a little bit of an inferiority uh-huh. complex. Correct. And it's just, it's so strange to me. I mean, the door is open, take it. I and took it's, it. It's what, what you do when you're in it. It yeah. doesn't matter if you were the first choice, third choice, last choice, but you're you're the choice now. At this moment in time, right. Yeah. I That was only clear to me when I look back later. I sure. just said, you know, but nevertheless, it was, it was a great experience. I was able to start to serve on the executive team and then when a position in nursing, leading nursing mm-hmm. came, it was sort of a logical progression. And so I was asked to take that role. And I really wasn't ready to get out of marketing communications. It was kind of fun. Yeah, it was really, I think it's fun. Yeah, a bit biased, I, yeah but, I bet yeah. you are. <laughs> um, and I had a lot to learn. And I really was surrounded by some really great people who helped me. But that job really went away. So that this job opened up. Sure. It's kind of fascinating how that worked for me. And it was a great opportunity to be in the executive level of nursing. And I was, I did that for many, many years. I can't even remember. I should know that. And then took on the role of the chief operating officer at the same time. Mm-hmm. Pretty common in healthcare to combine those two roles. Okay. Nursing has a lot of operational focus, and the organization really was in need of both roles at the time. And then about three years ago, a little more than three years ago, was asked to take this leadership role that I'm in now. So I have really been in the organization, like you said, a long time, almost 25 years, and have moved through a variety of roles and now leading um, not just St. Pat's, but really Providence, Western Western Montana. Now we just say Providence, Montana. Sure. How many locations do you have here in Montana? Well, two, just two, one in Polson, okay. St. Joe's and Polson, and then St. Pat's, of course, is, uh, you know, cer- certainly the larger of the two. But St. Joe's has a role to play as a critical access hospital. Mm-hmm. 
clearly up in that Lake County that has both challenges of uh, economics as well as sort of tourism and um, a lot of up and down. Yeah, I mean, that must be really interesting issue for you to think about. I mean, you've got this award-winning sort of uh, I don't destination hospitals yeah, not quite the right sometimes. term yeah because mm-hmm. uh, I don't think people sort of view it as like a destination mm-hmm. vacation but you know what I mean like people they come do. for miles to take advantage of the great care here but we're in a state that's spread out with few people how do you sort of think about this urban rural um, divide is a word that's commonly used I don't like using that word but that issue in, in terms of healthcare that's a that's a great question I think one that I can't speak for other rural states, but I have got to believe it's such a challenge in the rural environment. So in Montana, there's about 50 critical access hospitals, and that's a federal designation for 25 beds or less. And they literally get paid very differently than than the other what we call the PPS hospitals. That's really the traditional hospitals, of which there are only nine. And, And there are various bed sizes. And so so when you think about healthcare in a rural state, you've got these, what do you call, whether you call them destination hospitals or, or not, that are really dependent upon receiving patients from the critical access hospital to a certain degree. Okay. Because we can provide a level of care. They can't. Right. They, they have looked in general at their own, um, what they feel like their community needs and desires and have started to provide services in their own communities that we might have traditionally only done. And so there's this tension between critical access and, and the fee-for-service hospitals in that um, we we might argue that the critical access are doing what they shouldn't be and the critical access are doing what they think the community should have them be. And, and, and then there's a co- sort of a clinical question about volumes and physicians performing X where it just it gets really, really complicated really fast. At a real macro level in Montana, I would say individuals really are committed to keeping their critical access hospital in their community. Okay. The corollary is the post office or the high school, mm-hmm. right? I mean, critical, econ- services. critical economic engine, yep. um, uh, important a- an expectation of access. And so I'm not really sure what the future will look like um, as long as the federal government continues to pay critical access hospital at a cost base, and again, that gets sort of technical, um, I don't know that we should or can challenge that. And I mean should, because I I find myself on one hand saying, what what is our role at, at, at St. Joe's in Polson with a critical access hospital? And we look at all of the services we provide in Lake County. It's like, how could we not be there? And at the same time, the amount of dollars in in these 50 plus nine in this very rural state of Montana, you wonder the sustain, sustainability. And with all due respect in healthcare, we have our insurers who are saying, and federal government and state government saying, sure. we're not going to pay you anymore. Yep. So the revenue continues to decline and the expectation for care remains high, if not higher. So in a general way, what Providence has said, which I really like, is we have to think about being we – want, we want community members to think about Providence as their provider of health. Not just health care in the hospital, but mm-hmm. really health. And our goal is to keep people out of the hospital. Right, Really, right. I mean, yeah, makes perfect sense. We don't get paid by anybody to a certain degree to do that. Yeah. So we're, we're in that chasm of that is a right thing to do. You only want to come to the hospital when you absolutely need it. 
and we'll be there and we'll give you great care and we'll get you out quick, but we want you to be healthy. All the things you, you think about population health in terms of. Yeah, absolutely. It makes me think about, so just a few weeks ago, we had Lori Francis on Oh, great on colleague of mine. Oh, yes. Yeah, and thinking about like all of the social determin- determinants of health that we talked about and, and to your point of those things are sort of traditionally scoped outside of an organization like Providence St. Pat's. And that seems to be a real problem to addressing them systemically. Yes. How, how do you even get your head around that in, in your role? I mean, because you have pretty tight responsibilities, I would imagine. And, and some of that creates a conflict of interest, not a conflict of interest necessarily, but uh, sort of a fiduciary obligation to not pay as much attention to those as you might. So fiduciary is a key word, in my opinion, in that one. So on the revenue side, if we don't want, if we want to be healthy, that, that will that will eliminate some of our revenue. Sure. But Providence as a system, and this is to me one of the wonderful, um, you know, uh, opportunities in a big system has said, um, we we get that sort of again at the micro level, but yep. the macro level we have to do better. Okay. And by doing better, we have to be willing to give up some of that revenue because we'll we'll we will be providing health mm-hmm. or we'll be leading health. So that's why I really like to work with someone like Lori Francis, who who we really do share the same common goals. We right, might come right. at it differently. And so Providence has three major goals across the system, and they're expecting us to apply those locally. One is combat homelessness. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've done a lot of great work in this community, and we've been partners in Invest Health, and we feel very confident that if we can com- combat that, the next time someone comes into the emergency department and we create a discharge plan and can put them back into a home mm-hmm. instead of not a home, right. um, they're going to be more successful, right? And their health will improve across time. The second, uh, these are not uh, prioritized. The second is um, really focusing on behavioral health or mental health. which sure. are, And again, for all the right reason, if we can be with individuals and and help them have a, achieve a better stasis for whatever that is, that likely they will use health resources in a more efficient and effective way. Sure. Right. And the last one is to really work with our Medicaid population because we we don't necessarily have more Medicaid individuals um, in Montana, but we do ha- have Medicaid as um, you know we were able to institute that in the legislature. So we have a responsibility to use those dollars that are invested in the Medicaid. Um, exchanges responsibly. Mm-hmm. And so that's why that's a, th- a very important priority is to not just go out there and say, yes, we, we extended Medicaid, we have, but rather, h- how are we using those Yeah, dollars? what are the results Absolutely. with that? Yeah. And all the way back to whether results, I mean, the Bureau of Economic Research here at mm-hmm. the university has done not one, but two studies that are showing the economic advantages of having that Medicaid system. And so that, that fits right in line with what we're doing. So I don't know if I answered the question, I but it, so. but it's all um, and so my role is is to I feel like the the sort of the implementation of my role is to make sure I have the best operational team running the hospitals and running the physicians. We employ physicians and we employ advanced practice providers um, to run those operations effectively and efficiently. And at the same time, I'm out speaking to you, right. speaking about working with Lori figuring out how to be the best provider of health. And so as the leader of this sort of institution at a local level, yet you're affiliated with this, I mean, I don't know how large Providence is in general, very large right. healthcare organization. Right. How do you sort of view this um, 
you've probably sit at an interesting seat as a liaison yes. between this rural community that has probably some strong ideas about how things look here and should be managed here yes. versus a national organization that has some policies and practices that, that you might either complement or conflict with, totally. with what wants to happen here. I mean, that's probably the best description of that sort of that tension that yeah. you just um, offered. Um, I, I really feel like my responsibility is to make sure Providence understands the value of Montana okay. and the um, the impact, um, not just value bottom line. In fact, really bottom line in Montana for Providence is pretty little. I mean, you could probably make the argument that if you were just allocating resources most efficiently, you might not even have a hospital in Montana. Right. If it was just all about the the dollars and the people served. Right. Relative we to... Just, like, sign over a premium to Amazon or something, <laughs> yeah, which right. dystopian future, but we don't need to go there. No, no. And, and honest, uh, honestly, Providence has not gone there. I think a couple reasons. One, Montana, we're very strong financially, quality, satisfaction. I mean, we just have good, strong yeah. indicators consistently. Second of all is uh, St. Pat's is the oldest operating ministry hospital in the Providence system. Mm-hmm. And that that's there's an emotional tie that's really pretty strong with that. I think it's mostly our results, though. And um, and so we get we get, I mean we have a hundred and forty million dollar financing uh, responsibility that the system just gave us earlier this yep. year. We wouldn't have really had that level of confidence if they weren't if they weren't confident in the work that we do. However, being part of a big system is has its own challenges. Providence is either the ninth or tenth largest healthcare system in the country. Right. Seven states. I mean, just it's it's big. massive. Yeah. And um, it can be slow, and sometimes the ability to get things done or get at sort of decisions it can be maddeningly slow. Uh, so my my role is to um, help people here keep the faith and then continue to say to my colleagues at Providence, this is what we need and this is why we need it, and, and to be patient and positive and not a Pollyanna, mm-hmm. although it can be that way, because I think that the benefits of being part of a big system outweigh really sort of some of the independence that we might not feel. Right, right. Um, but that has evolved. We've been part of Providence since 2006. Yeah. So it's not like it happened yesterday. And and really that's the direction that m- many hospitals are going. So it's not unusual. It's just how do you find that balance? Yeah, but that, that seems like that con- consolidation challenge really creates some structural problems. Does. It um, does. I mean, you're, you're advocating for your local organization and like we said before, like there are real economic pressures to mm-hmm. cut things that are distinctive here or that maybe are, you know, uniquely valued by our community or things like that. And you must sit at the center of those debates and decisions. All the time. Yeah. And, you know, I don't really know that we've had to cut any services here right. from a, so even from an economic standpoint. We have really spent time thinking about how to be most effective in the services that we're providing. And um, that's sort of the constant operational you know, focus that we have to have and pay attention to the need. Just because we've been doing something for 25 years doesn't maybe need we need to yeah. do in the future. That's sort of that innovation. Let's be smart about what's the next place to be. Right, right. It makes me think too, you know, as somebody who studies branding, you know, brands sort of derive from great products and great products are things that you do distinctively well. And, so, you know, Pro- Providence is renowned for, for certain things. St. Pat's is renowned for certain things. Mm-hmm. But I, I suppose at, at some level, as a, as a hospital, you have a responsibility to do everything well, right? I think, so. yes, I would agree. Yet there are things for which you have hard-earned 
reputations. How do you sort of view that as a leader of an organization? Like there's going to be areas where we're distinct and how do we sort of utilize that, but also not under or underinvest in other areas that we need? I mean, that is a that's that is a question we have to try to answer honestly every single right. day. I, I mean, and I could use International Heart Institute, which is really a, a flagship cardiovascular services brand, been been at St. Pat's really way before my time, and it it it, it does draw individuals from across the country, mm-hmm. and and well it should in terms of the physicians and the type of clinical care we're providing, and we're the leader in the system as well in many regards. And how do you balance that? Not put all your eggs in that basket while at the same time serving poor and vulnerable. And again, I'll talk about behavioral health. I mean, individuals who right. it continues to grow and we continue to say, how can we still be in behavioral health in the most effective way? So we're looking for, uh, we, we look for partners there. So you think about Lori Francis and the work that she's doing at Partnership Health Center. There's no need to replicate that, but there's need, there's an opportunity to share patients appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in a conversation with Shodare Children's Hospital in Helena, who serving adolescent patients, adolescents, and their families already, and they're wondering how they can come into Missoula and and do it more effectively. And I'm like, come on in, we will figure this yeah, out together. It's happening. It, we're not going to compete, and so I think we use we've got to take competition sort of out out of our vernacular and talk about partnership, um, and not be afraid to not do everything. Yeah. You know, we can yeah. influence and maybe be active participants, but we don't have to do it all. Because if we're in it, we're going to do it well. And not that others won't, but Shodare is a great example of they have competence in children and adolescents psych like no one else in this state. And so why not bring them into Missoula and, it, with our support? Yeah. That does seems, that make sense? Yeah, it does. And as you're, as you're laying that out there, I'm thinking just how sort of fraught a concept is, uh, a fraught concept competition is in the healthcare space. Uh, we don't necessarily need to get into political conversation, but it is, it has to be sort of very top of mind for how you lead an organization. It, it is because there is some thinking or some sense that there's two of something and they're competing. The price point will go lower and the quality has to be maintained. There's some theory to support that. And, yeah. and right. You can't sort of... Um, ignore that. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, I'm not really sure at practical level in Montana that that always, you know, transcends. And again, Dean French, the CEO over at Community and I, are good colleagues, just had breakfast with him last Friday. And we we really do try to think through into the future, how mm-hmm. do our respective organizations work together in this community? And we I think we feel as individuals, that's our responsibility, so that we're not always in every turn competing but we do compete sure yeah and, and it's interesting though like the, the competition like you said it can lead to better outcomes but it can also lead to behaviors that could subvert the overall mission of, of health yeah for sure yeah and again i don't sort of want to go down that necessarily yeah, yeah. it could be a political sure. spectrum but um we we have to keep it we have to talk about it transparently because because it is that concept is out there so this might be a good moment to pivot to another role you have that sort of deals with competition and not competition and so forth, and that is you, you sit on the Board of Regents for the Montana University System. When were you appointed to the board? I was appointed just in March. That's so what I, I thought, have to, relatively I have to underline, recent. Yeah. Yes, I'm, I, I'm a, recent, uh, a recent addition to so the board. So you're getting your feel for this, 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 this group. I want to hear sort of about what that group's about. But um, first off, why did, you, why, why did you say yes? You do so many things in our community. You probably get asked to do 
a hundred times more. This was something you said yes to. Why? That's a great question. Um, where I'm at in my career is um, at the time that I was asked if I would submit my um, nomination, I had finished a national board about maybe 18 months ago and had said, okay, the, the next board appointment that I either am asked or would pursue, you know, it really wanted to be one of um, substantialness for me and where mm-hmm. I think I can bring bring perhaps a level of expertise or at least a perspective that might be new or different. Yeah. And so the, that, the opportunity to apply for me brought those those things. It's not, I do have to make choices. I'm exactly right. I, I'm not going to commit to something that I can't follow through on. And I've been very clear about that. And there's probably been boards that I haven't um, accepted the the role. I sort of feel bad about that because I do think I can bring things. But time, mm-hmm. time is the currency of leadership. It and, is. I and, like that. Yeah. I mean, we think about it, it's really true. And so um, where will I spend whatever other time outside of leading in Providence? And so I thought I was very thoughtful. And I told myself if I wasn't, um, you know, if I wasn't nominated, that would be okay. There mm-hmm. would be other opportunities. So it just came at a, what I would call a really good time in my career. Okay. And also in the what I thought to be the stability of my leadership at St. Pat's. Maybe two years ago, I couldn't have been in that same position. Sure. So, so the right moment, the right sort of scope. Yeah, uh, and right. I can see too, like your topical expertise. We have, at least here at the University of Montana, burgeoning health sciences pro- programming, mm-hmm. and and, mm-hmm. and so yeah, yeah, all came together, and um, the governor appointed me, and went through the process, and had to go through you know in front of the Senate committee, and the only question I had was from. Um, I, I actually don't remember who asked me the question, but the only question I had was, do I root for the Bobcats or the Grizzlies? Because I have a certificate of public health from sure. here. Yeah, yeah. Or the Gophers. Or the Gophers, or the, yeah, that's yeah. Right. yeah and I was like, uh, all three. Yeah, you yes. Know. <laughs> yes. A New Angle is brought to you by First Security Bank and Blackfoot, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hi, this is Jeff Meese, media technician at the College of Business, and you're listening to A New Angle. That was... <laughs> you're under oath, so yeah, yes is the little answer, little tongue-in-cheek, right? yeah. Gosh. Um, so, so it's, I'm new, and, and uh, there is really a lot to learn. The, the, I would say the positive side for me is I am a Montana native. Right, so I right. really, I was around when the Constitution in 72 really sort of and some of the challenges of the border regions is constitutional mm-hmm. role and so i had that not top of mind but that wasn't all sort yeah, of that new. historical experience right. yeah went to msu so i'm mm-hmm. a product of the university system and and really uh again didn't really mean when i went to school there i went to, it was you know 17 years old and it was all fun but when i look back and see really the investment and yeah and what that undergraduate degree has done for my career here it's it's uh critical well so, now yeah. you're you're a critical sort of constituent of the organization as well employing so many of, of graduates across totally. the system in a variety of roles um Totally. And the success of these academic programs, particularly in the healthcare space, or, or the raw materials you need to lead your organization. Well, well stated. And so, what can I bring to the border regions from that employer standpoint, and sort of the connection between the academic side right. and what the workforce and the employers are needing? Although I'm not unique to that, other mm-hmm. border regions, you know, can also speak to sort of that other other side. We're not academics. Um, by design, except for the student region who is in academics. I guess that's a really important question. Like some of our listeners probably have no idea what the Board of Regents is, why it exists. Totally. Uh, 
Yeah. Can you yeah. lay that out there a little bit? Well, I'll try again. We, uh, remember, I'm in six, sure, just six, a couple seven months. months in. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the Board of Regents is constitutionally, um, I'm not probably going to use the right legal worm, but like supported, like it's in the in our Montana Constitution. Apparently, early early in our days as a state, there was a lot of political manipulation around education, uh, and so there was uh, wise individuals, at least in my opinion, who said, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna describe the role mm-hmm. of the board, and we're gonna give the the board the authority and the accountability constitutionally." Little unusual, apparently, across the country. Yeah. Some have some boards similar have it, but many do not. And so within that framework, it talks about, you know, where do you get your most influence, or a lot of it finances, right? So the board really is accountable for the finances of the entire university system. But that has to be garnered through work with the legislators every two years, yes. right? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And But there is always that tension over where can we expand and how can we apply taxpayer dollars appropriately across this state to better serve the needs of the students. Mm-hmm. So um, the, that's what the Board of Regents really does is support support that work and that effort. Of course, it isn't just as easy as tuition for students, right? There's infrastructure. (laughs) (laughs) And there's resident and non-resident and which programs and which sites. And what I have found fascinating, and I don't know why I didn't recognize this, when we – the Board of Regents meetings moves around, Mm -hmm. right, to each – Quarterly meetings, right? Well, actually, they're every – two months they end up oh, sort okay. of being more than court i mean i'm going to say there's maybe five a year yeah so where have i been i've been to great falls i've been to butte i've been to bozeman so those have been my first three meetings and sort of the 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 community's desire for the success of the institution and the community is paramount and we create a community conversation by design when mm-hmm. we're there and i have learned so much from community members as to their expectations for their university. So Great Falls was a great was a great one because th- at some level they feel like they should have a four year university. Sure. And so then how do we say well the two year university that's in Great Falls is enough mm-hmm. for the future? And I mean, it, I, I don't know, but that's what it is. And, yeah, you no, know? I get what you're saying, yeah. and it, it makes me think about you. You face these same issues in healthcare. Same. You can't have a flagship hospital in every town. Correct. Um, but what is the right balance? I mean, we have a lot of campuses spread across a big state with few we people. Um, you know, some of those campuses need to be subsidizing others, and the, the whole totally. balance is, is complicated. It's very complicated, and I can't say today that I really un- understand or – I mean, I, I probably understand the current – Right. Right, but what a future yeah, would or it should going? look like? Yeah. You know, that's sort of for me. I I'm telling myself to learn, mm-hmm. and the corollary for healthcare. You know, we haven't sort of quite learned that either. Where where's the future of healthcare in this? I keep saying this limited, resourced environment. Well, um, it it certainly is. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do not mm-hmm. fund higher education at a rate that other states do, and we have that's a smaller right. tax base. Totally, <laughs> absolutely, and the expectations. Again, if we – I'll use a correlative health care. If we decided that the critical – there's too many critical access hospitals. Right. Let's just be you know, sort of simple. I'm not sure there's going to be an ounce of support in our legislator or or even in the community members. Same thing if you said we have too many right, – we have right. too many campuses spread out. So so I'm not sure that's, that is the direction to go. But mm-hmm. what – how do we – how can we be more effective providers of higher ed – and more effective might mean less expensive or it might mean, you know, distributing dollars or then the sort of the whole innovation side. And that leads me th- to think of the online side. I just sort of had a co- right. 
casual conversation ab- about that with a couple of people. And, you know, that you can talk out of both sides of your mouth about online's a way to go. That's how this generation wants to get their education. And then the next person say, but, but you lose so much when you're not having the relationship and you're not able to exchange. And so how do you... Right. And I sort of view it as a bit of a false dichotomy in the sense uh-huh. that if we just sort of chase online, it's sort of a race to put ourselves out of business, right? Because if it's all online, Amazon University wins. Totally. Right? Totally. So what are the what are the magical things that happen only on a campus mm-hmm. that we can invest in and preserve? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do we use online as a way to supplement or complement um, the stuff that you can't rep- rep- reproduce online. Totally. And, I, you know, unfortunately, everyone comes with their personal biases. Course, so I yeah. have d- two daughters who d- didn't go to school in the university system here but went to school and, and are getting their graduate degrees. And, and in really, the healthcare space, right? Yeah. yeah. That's great. Sort of not thinking online is at all a part of what they want to experience. Mm-hmm. And, and they are, they're having to do some online work because that's just what's being offered. Yeah. Uh, especially my younger daughter who's like, I just, I got to get through this online class and check the box. But I tomorrow when I go do my clinicals, when I get to see and talk to people and really practice, that that's for her the essence of what graduate education, at least in healthcare, should be. So sure. it's like, what is that right? I use the word balance. Um, same thing for healthcare. We have apps on our phone, right? And we and the first thing we say to people is right side of care. Use your phone mm-hmm. if you're a little bit ill. I mean, we're sort we're telling individuals to do that. It's less expensive. It's more efficient, and yet you're really giving up the relationship, the physical exam of you know. So, so much to learn, and I I really want to understand maybe what we're learning in healthcare that can be applied to higher ed, but but the other side. I mean, I can't. And, and what what does that look like? I, I talk about Rain, Wayne Gretzky. Sometimes my younger staff will go, who's, who's that? that? Oh, gosh. Wow. We're dating ourselves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it is skating to where the puck's going to be. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why I say it. It's, and so so how, how do you plan and really get through something that seems kind of gray and ambiguous? Yeah. I, and layer on top of that, like it's a future of work that we can't quite predict. Right. What what sorts of jobs will be disrupted totally. and in what ways, through what forces? I mean, it's 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 this moment in higher education and in other areas where I feel like what we do here at the University of Montana has never been more important as far as the challenges facing our society. But the way we deliver it is not in line with with the demands of the time. Totally. Totally. So, so then, so then what? So, yeah. How do we get from the four-year residential degree to a sixty-five-year mm-hmm. subscription? Oh, right? wow! Right? Yeah. How do we do that? That's a great. <laughs> That's I a big ho- question, right? Yeah, but I have hope you figured it, it out. I yet? hope you've coined that because that <laughs> that it is the life. It's the lifelong. Yeah. I don't want to say lifelong learning necessarily because that gets overused, but is that it's same thing in healthcare? Mm-hmm. Well, how how is it that and how is it that we want to be in the later stages of our lives having having made the right choices very early on. It's just so many similarities. I feel like I say that a lot without without clarity right. on what the next step is. And well, it's hard. We don't really know. So how do you so how do you stay open to it as it gets revealed, or are you, are you part of revealing it and creating it? I keep mm-hmm. asking myself Well, I think that. we really need to have clarity on the value we create mm-hmm. for students. And that's a whole other area of debate. I mean, there's people that say, oh, yeah, university is to just do deep – training in, in, in critical thinking, ethics, communication, 
stuff like that. And then there's people that say that, well, students need to have a job on to immediately start paying down that debt. And you know, to me, it's, it's like there has to be it's sort of yes to both, right? right. And, and, and how you sort of shape and scope that is, mm-hmm. is a big challenge. Mm-hmm. And we got to figure it out because the change is here. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, anyway, if you figure out, I like your tagline. I'm going to think about okay. that today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll have to trademark that. Yeah. yeah quick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certainly not unique in, in people thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, this maybe within that, uh, we haven't talked about this much, but this conversation is situated in our Sea Change series. Um, and we asked you to participate for a couple of reasons. First is um, you're just prominent leader in, in hmm. our community, in our state, and, and I'm curious if and how gender has played a role in, in, in your hmm. career, um, and particularly the advancement at the executive level mm-hmm. and at the leadership level. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly never really thought about my gender professionally. Yeah. P- probably part of it is um, nursing has predominantly been female. Sure. So I, yep. I, as a nursing leader, I was leading predominantly female and even though there was a sense of we have to get men into nursing and in different areas that I worked with, there was probably more men than women. It, it still, it was still predominantly female. I honestly never, never felt hampered by my mm-hmm. gender. Never felt like I didn't get something because I was a female. I just, and maybe maybe that was the case, but I just I just didn't think along yeah. those lines, which is probably, as I look back, probably kind of an important attribute to not let it sort of be an automatic. Oh gosh. Um, I might not because I'm female. Just didn't occur to me. It's, I mean, that that mindset's consistent with a lot of the women we've had on the series uh, and, and other leaders mm-hmm, I've talked to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I raised two daughters with my husband, who's very very sort of non gender environment, and they've yeah. done they both done very extremely extremely well and. I don't know that I've necessarily said to them, "Have you thought that you didn't because of your gender?" I don't. It just yeah. doesn't. I know that sort of sounds. I don't know if the word is crazy or like not very thoughtful, but so I've had opportunities within Providence. I really believe because I've I've earned them and sure. because I've worked hard and because I've really been a leader in a way that is sort of gender neutral mm-hmm. and um, you know that and it's all the traditional leadership. I have a great team. I'm not afraid to make tough decisions. Um, I feel really. I feel relationships are really important. That we try to spend time together and share information together, and know people as people rather than just work colleagues. Um, I, I'm also pretty good about boundaries. It's like you know, I, I work with you, but I don't have to be your friend, right, and I don't. Right. I really don't do. And I think that's been very helpful is to is to sort of keep that balance. Um, I I I work a lot of hours, but I but I also know when to take a break. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really pretty. Um, attuned to that across my career and I think that has been really helpful for me mentally probably physically too yeah, I think it gets more important too as you get to oh. be in leadership because other people are looking to you for the what are the norms of this organization totally. you know what time did this email come from my totally. boss on a Sunday totally I mean you got it and so so I'd like to think that I've been sort of that positive role model sure. and also able to develop really a culture of of caring for each other, but I, I say all the time we are in a human service industry. We are humans taking care of humans at the probably their worst or right. crisis moments. So how do we make sure that those of you who are caring feel cared for and feel like you have what you need in order to do your best, sort of all the time? Yeah, so that's it's interesting in the sense that so you haven't necessarily come explicitly up against 
barriers that you perceived in the moment or or obstacles, um, whether they were there or not, we can't really say. But there are women in leadership as students that that do have those experiences. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have it anecdotally. We have it in the data. Yes. Um, and so part of sea change is, is, is sort of shining a light on that mm-hmm. and trying to understand it, understand where we're, where we're succeeding and failing. So when you hear about a place like the University of Montana, particularly with our kind of fraught history recently mm-hmm. with, um, mm-hmm. with sexual assault and safety and so forth, um, what was your initial reaction when you heard about this initiative? Yeah, well, this initiative, like, no, no surprise, maybe, I mean, yay, wish sooner, yeah, but that's okay. Time, that's okay. Yeah, I, I, I get how initiatives sort of have to germinate and yeah, there has yeah. to be some thought. And I don't like to have an initiative for initiative's sake yep. as a response or a knee-jerk reaction that really doesn't, isn't well thought out or doesn't have a sort of a set of core principles. So, so I thought, I thought good. I didn't necessarily equate the two. I mean, I was in this community when that was all happening and felt yeah. disappointed and, and, and all the, all the words that community members thought, but, but really felt and really believed in my heart that there would be an opportunity to move beyond it. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever it it is, I don't even you know can't even I don't even choose words and and sea change feels like it that that this initiative is a piece of that is a part of that is yeah. the is a leader into it and and as long as we're um, we know what it is that sea change can can become and will become be and have clarity and consistency I I think it's a wonderful opportunity even if there was no history here yeah right yeah. even okay. if there was no history and um. And I don't, because it hasn't necessarily been a perceived challenge by me, I, it doesn't mean that it hasn't been. I might have just been oblivious or ignored it or was at the right time to sort of challenge it and not sure. sort of think that that's what I was doing. So I want to be, a, to me, this this allows someone like me to be aware um, and think through the, the challenges that women may face um, and then be try to be helpful um, and try to, I mean, I, again, part of it's confidence, part of it's to me to just a sense of achievement despite yeah. you know just yeah. sort of a um laser focused and mm-hmm. yet not to be so laser focused that we um sort of get on a side where we're you know to that we give up sort of the the female side of who we are in terms of well, whatever this compassion or right. teamwork or all the attributes that are ascribed to to our gender i mean I, they're not mutually exclusive i just i think we can we can do it well and yet i don't like to throw around like well I'm the woman leader, and that's why we're, right, you know, right. that that gets that isn't good either. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd like some level of just like, can't we just talk to each other as humans, right? Gender neutral humans. It's it's tricky though because there's all there's so many layers to this, and you have instances where people have achieved through whatever metrics systems whatever and then they sort of feel like well I got through this other people need to deal with it oh, you know gosh. what I mean like yes. the, the obstacles I had to face are obstacles you should face and, and so sometimes people that have advanced through a system with all kinds of hurdles whether they're legitimate or not uh, or equitable or not or whatever or not um, they have a hard time maybe saying that path should be easier for others Right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense to me. And I'm just like going, oh, that's yeah, kind of disappointing. Sad. Yeah, it's sad, sad, but I've that's seen people like, operate that way. Well, yeah, I um, I haven't not had difficulties. I mean, I, I there certainly have been times where I really feel like being a nurse or being a female were not necessarily very helpful uh-huh. for for my sort of what I needed to accomplish as a leader. 
but I, if I can, if I can figure out how it is that I was in the world to make something positive happen in the midst of all that, why not share that? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think individuals have to sort of, you know, get through it. It doesn't have to be uphill both I, ways. I and don't in the snow. <laughs> I just don't think that way. Yeah, I yeah. feel I feel like I have an obligation to craft something that anyone, male or female, or even gender neutral behind me, can take advantage of or or find their own leadership sure. spot. Yeah. Um, okay, so when you hear about this and you participate in it, you observe it. Um, how will you hold the University of Montana accountable? I mean, we put yeah. something out there and we yeah. got to deliver. It's an ongoing thing. Right. It's not just a year long initiative. But, right. but how do you how do you hold this accountable? Well, I think as a as a, a major employer in the in the city of Missoula, I would say, okay, what are the objectives, and what am I hearing, you know, uh-huh. out where, and where am I hearing it, and how, and then how are you, you know, calling me in to be a part of the solution? Because I mean, we'll hold you accountable, sort of in a in in some way against metrics, but we can't sit back and just say, how are we going to hold you accountable? Yeah, We're, yeah. We live here too. Yeah, we need you to be. We yeah. need you to be successful. If you're mm-hmm. successful, so are we. So. Again, that sounds a little Pollyannish, but that really is true. And so, so uh, charge me with something to be helpful to help you, you know, to be part of being held accountable. Right. Um, I don't. Um, I think that's the best I can answer because I think I believe in the leadership here. I feel like I know the leadership here, and I feel like there's a sense of integrity and a sense of if we're going to put sea change out there, we're we're going to do it with a degree of, um, again, consistency, objectives doesn't have to be all concrete, black and white, right. ironclad, because many of these things can't be or aren't. But it isn't, it isn't the thing of the year, or it isn't to sort of get our, our um, name on the map for, right. a, for an award and then it goes away. It feels like there's sustainability written underneath it. Can't say exactly what that, uh, what that might be right now, but I, I have the confidence that there is a sustainability plan or thought process, and that, that gives me confidence. Right. Do we have the endurance is sort of the... Perseverance. Yeah. That's right. Well, Joyce, this has been an absolute pleasure. Enjoy engaging you on all these topics, learning more about your, your perspective and your important work in the community. Thanks for all you do, serving as the on the Board of Regents. And uh, yeah, look forward to the next yeah. conversation. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. What she said about time, that it's the currency of leadership, that really struck me. And I've been thinking a lot about it since. All right, coming up next week, we have director of the Flathead Lake Biological Station, Professor Jim Elser. Jim was recently named to the National Academy of Sciences, the highest honor someone in his field can achieve. Stay tuned and listen to Jim help me with the big words next week. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that a new angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps, executive producer Stefan Borsum, and interns Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson. Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.